Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So Nathan, what's on the docket today? It's kind of been a quiet front on the movie and TV front as far as news coming out. Netflix did have a largest opening weekend of streaming with their new Netflix original movie, Extraction. Yes, I actually did end up checking that out last weekend, which was a pretty decent movie. I mean, let's be real here. I think that it had we not been in quarantine days, I think this movie would have not done as well. But it did help that they had Chris Hemsworth attached to the titular role. And also it helped that they had both Joe and Anthony Russo's names thrown in there as producers. Yeah, it's it's always helpful to have one of the Chris's. That's going to be like a generation thing. This is like the generation of movies with the Chris's. Yes. It's uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine, and Chris Pratt. Don't forget Chris Evans. And Chris Evans, yeah. So yeah, if you have one of these Chris's in your movies, you're like, that's being a big draw right now. So that's something that I find interesting is... Exactly. Guarantee that you're going to draw quite a crowd if you have one of those four Chris's. Back in the 80s, uh, kid slash family films, it was the, what was it, the Corey Brothers? Yeah, the Corey Brothers. We've moved past the generation of the Corey Brothers, and now we're into the generation of the Chris's. <laughs> Also, uh, we have news that after putting production of new movies on hold for a little while, Disney and Lucasfilms has announced that they are going to get a new Star Wars original film directed by Taika Waititi. Yes, and I was so excited to hear about that because I love Taika Waititi. He's one of my favorite directors and the vision and the style that he brings into his movies. It's just fun and amazing. I mean, all you have to do is look at what he did with the character of Thor in Thor Ragnarok. And that's all you need yes. to know. And I love how he likes to insert himself in. He's kind of a quirky, funny character. Uh, Korg in Thor Ragnarok and the IG-88 bounty hunting robot in Mandalorian. Yes. So what I would love to see him do is insert himself into Star Wars as a Kushiban Jedi. If you don't know what a Kushiban is within the context of Star Wars Legends, they haven't been on screen at all. So they're only in the uh, currently non-canical source called Star, Star Wars Legends. The Kushiban was a race of intelligent rabbits that were only two to three feet tall. So they were smaller than Yoda. Oh my God. I want to see that now. So bad. That sounds amazing. Also, can we just acknowledge the fact that considering that they are rabbits and Taika Waititi's last movie was Jojo Rabbit, that would be a little on the nose too. Oh, and, and by the way, he is co-writing the movie as well. And the other co-writer is Christy Wilson Cairns. She wrote 1917, right? Yes, she absolutely wrote 1917, or excuse me, co-wrote 1917 with director Sam Mendes. So this is great. I'm loving the fact that both Taika Waititi is now, you know, gone is going on to direct a Star Wars film. And I'm happy for Christy Wilson Cairns from going to, you know, again, guys, before 1917, her biggest thing she did was an episode of Penny Dreadful. And now she's co-writing a Star Wars film. She's in a rocket ship. Absolutely. 
And are we ready for a single-shot Star Wars film? Oh, yes. I think we are. Let's do it. But really, the biggest news that came up this past week in between our recordings is Lionsgate, since the middle of April, has been doing four Friday nights at the movies live streaming events in order to raise money for the Real Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation as a benefit to furloughed movie theater workers. Yes. And we were actually in attendance on the last showing that they had, which was for John Wick. And full disclosure, we were originally talking about doing Extraction this week until this live event became super popular and trending on Facebook and Twitter. And we decided to join that and use that for the topic of today's episode. Absolutely. And actually, the Lionsgate Drive, I believe, might be closed out by now, but you can always still donate to the foundation itself. Based on that, I actually think that it would be fun and beneficial. Since the whole purpose was to raise money for the Will Rogers Motion Pictures Pioneers Foundation. Wow, that's a mouthful. (laughs) I think it would be very appropriate if, since we're using that for today's topic, for every play of this podcast that we get in the first week of this going up, I want to donate $1 to the foundation in support of furloughed workers. Yes, and I'll be doing the same thing on my end. So it'll be $2, one per person. So yes, do donate. We will again put the information on the description of the podcast so you'll be able to know where to go. And again, just uh, click on our podcast. Because I really enjoy the theater experience. I miss the theater experience. Yeah. And I really hope that this can help many families out there. So if you can donate, donate. But if you're unable to donate in this time because there is a lot of people suffering from being furloughed as businesses close up, just Bear in mind, you can help out by playing this podcast and sharing it to your friends and family and having them listen to it. Absolutely. All right. So, Nathan, we're finally going to talk about it. We're finally going to talk about John Wick. You guys have no idea how excited I am to talk about this movie. (laughs) This is one of my favorite action films of all time. This movie is just an amazing culmination, I feel, of everything that we have learned about filming action sequences and just putting everything into an hour and a half worth of amazing action sequences. I miss the first time that this came around. Mainly, I think it was just I had the young kids and didn't always have the time or money for a babysitter. And this was definitely not a movie to bring a young child into at the time. So the first movie I missed and then the second movie came came out and I was like, oh, I should... I should maybe see that. That looks like it's a good movie. And then I didn't see it because I wanted to see the first one first. And then the third one came out and I'm like, oh God, I'm way behind. <laughs> and you have been on my case forever to get me to watch this movie. Oh my God. Okay. So John Wick is a movie that has a lot of ties, by the way, to the Matrix trilogy, not in terms of story, because the movies are not connected, even though there's people out there who have all this conspiracy theories about how John Wick is somehow connected to the Matrix movies. But this movie is connected to the Matrix in the sense that Chad Stahelski was actually, at the time of when The Matrix was filmed, Keanu Reeves' stunt double. Yeah. So a lot of this movie, a lot of John Wick, a lot of the people who work on John Wick also worked in The Matrix. So we, in a way, owe The Matrix for John Wick. So this was a enjoyable movie for anyone who likes 
action sequences. Yes. That's the biggest sell of this movie. The plot is simple. Yeah. Really, if you think about it. Yeah. It's your basic revenge plot, Only instead of a family or loved one being killed, it is a puppy, which full sanction, go kill whoever it is that killed your puppy, man. Like, seriously. I'm just kidding. I don't condone murder. (laughs) That's not what people should do if somebody kills your dog. Don't go John Wick on people. Don't go John Wick on people, yeah. But they do a really good job of setting it up. It's very basic, quick movie action. Shows him retiring, although you don't know what he's retiring from, to settle down into a quiet life with his wife, who then collapses on the pier, Mm -hmm. cuts into a hospital room. You know she's gone. John Wick has a lot of friends. He does. He's been in the business for a while. It's on Viggo Tarzov, everything that happens after this point, because he knew John Wick well. That was a huge crowd of insiders, so he was probably part of that crowd paying his respects. Mm -hmm. His son is definitely old enough to be part of the business. Yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, he's not clueless to what his father does, so if he just brought his son along to pay the respects and make sure to impart then how much you should respect and fear john wick yeah then we wouldn't have had a murder spree happen all right son this is the business you make sure you gotta know the players we are going to pay respects to john wick because he deserves that respect and you should always give him that respect <laughs> because he is a b-a-m-f And this is why we're going to go and pay our respects to him because we do not want to be on his crosshairs at any point. Now, what did you think about his son ultimately never really believing the stories that he was saying about John Wick? No matter how much he told him that he should fear John Wick, his son was always like remaining arrogant and obtuse to the threat that he set upon his family right which to me that seemed a little bit believable the reason for that is it's never really explicitly told how old yosef is in this universe right we don't know how old he is but he always appeared to me to be sort of in his mid to early 20s you know he never really seemed older than that so when you look at that and you look at how long ago john wick retired it seems like he was out of the business for the last five maybe even 10 years we don't really know how long john wick was out of retirement so it's possible that when yusuf came in into the business john wick had already been long retired so these were just stories to him right and of course why would you even ever believe that somebody can kill three people with a pencil that sounds ridiculous the joker only killed one person with a pencil right made it disappear it was a magic trick plus the other factor is he's already quote-unquote gone up against john wick but in his defense when he went up against john wick he went up against john wick and caught him by surprise not john wick being prepared and coming at him so he's like well I already beat this guy up once. There's another bit, right? Is that he didn't really think of him as a threat considering that he had already won, if you want to be technical, in a fight against John Wick. But only again, as you mentioned, because that was more of a surprise sneak attack. If John Wick sees his, sees Joseph coming with a bat, I mean, no contest. There's no way that Joseph is going to win against John Wick. The dog saw him coming. Come on. I know, right? Pay attention, Daisy. By the way, I do want to point out a bit of trivia. You know that scene when the dog went out to poop? Yep. And you know that poop was completely CG? Why did you not get like a prop 
a poop prop. I'm sure that somebody could have made that. Just throw a <laughs> bunch of yogurt. You know what I mean? Like, there's pudding. There's all kinds of things that you can do from a practical effect that would look like poop and be perfectly fine to be used as poop. You did not need to grab a bunch of people with a bunch of powerful computers and say, guys, render me some poop so we can put it on the movie. I, I don't understand why that is, but I thought that was fascinating that that poop was completely CG. All right, so here's a question. As he's trying to impart into his son how dangerous John Wick is, he calls John Wick the Baba Yaga. Do you know what the Baba Yaga is? Isn't that from a Russian folklore? It is Russian folklore. It is a old hag witch that lived inside of a hut that could move around on a pair of giant chicken legs. Right. I remember seeing images of that. It is so creepy, by the way. It is creepy. But the actual Russian mythological creature that the screenwriters were going for is the Babeka. Not Baba Yaga. Babeka. What's the difference? The Babeka is the Russian equivalent of the boogeyman, mm -hmm. which is what he was equating John Wick to in that scene where he calls him Baba Yaga. That's interesting. I guess to English listeners, they probably sounded very similar it makes me wonder they sound similar so it's like did he look it up get the name right put it in and then the actor said it wrong or did he hear the word and then tried to remember what it was and looked it up and found baba yaga and put that in i mean to be fair baba yaga is the more catchy of the two <laughs> <laughs> babeka baba yaga yeah it sounds the more catchy one and i think it's the one that most people are familiar with because i'm not familiar with the other one i think i was more familiar with baba yaga than i was with the other character Although I like in the film, uh, oh God, this is one of my favorite bits and lines in the movie is when Yusuf is like the boogeyman and then and then Vigo is like, he's not exactly the boogeyman. He's the guy you send to kill the boogeyman. The boogeyman. And, I yep. <laughs> and I thought that was, that basically showed everything you needed to know about John Wick. By the way, when he gave his son Yosef vodka, yep. and when he punched him in the stomach, puking back the vodka, I thought, God, that's got to be, you know, super gross. But then I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's alcohol. That must have burned coming back up. <laughs> Ouch. I was listening to podcasts last night while I was drinking a vodka cocktail, and something was said that made me laugh. <laughs> it immediately came back up the throat and out my mouth and nose. I'm like, that is the most painful thing I have experienced in years. <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. This week's PSA, do not drink alcohol while listening to something funny, and <laughs> especially vodka cocktails. <laughs> Yes. I had a first-hand experience of how that probably burned and hurt so much when that happened to him. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have a Yosef moment. You yes. don't want that. You don't want a Yosef moment. So one of the other things that I really liked about John Wick was the pacing of it. I like that we didn't really get treated into the action sequences right away. I like that they built the world of John Wick first. Before any gun was fired, they built this world and the character of John Wick, they built a really nice, solid foundation for it. And I really appreciated that because half the time you see action films, there's not a whole lot of building of the character and the world properly. And I think that they did a really good job with this film. This is actually something that I really appreciated from this film is a lot of times when people come up with a clever world for their characters to be living in and going through, 
And they create this really clever world with like this organization and this honor code and the gold coins, which I'm sure we're going to get to. Yes. The screenwriter, for whatever reason, they create this really cool world that you want to explore and you want to learn a lot more about. And then the first movie, the first thing they can think of to do with this world is tear it down and destroy it. Right. Wanted was like that. Equilibrium was like that. These are cool concepts of worlds. Don't destroy it in your first episode. (laughs) You can create conflict within the world that doesn't require you to just destroy the world at the same time. Yes. That's why I appreciate it with this one is because even though they could have gone that route, what with other assassins violating the hotel's rules of safe haven, Mm -hmm. they could have done it. But instead, they showed how if you violate these rules, you are kicked out of the organization. Right. They treated those more as sort of outliers that you know we are expecting this kinds of events to happen from time to time but we already have a task force ready to go and shoot you in the face whenever you break a rule like that it's an organization that has existed for a long time you can tell it is that it has existed for a long time and you can tell that it knows what to do when somebody breaks the rules there's an order to it and that is actually one thing though it's like perkins was her name right yeah miss perkins she was violating the hotel rules And she already knew she was going to get punished. Mm -hmm. And she also knew that Harry, who was watching her, was about to walk out the door and leave her behind to be found by the hotel staff. Yes. So she could have just waited five minutes and still have carried on as she was carrying on. What do you mean? Well, he was packing up. He was getting his stuff together. He was about to walk out that door. Yes. And leave her. And as he said catch and release right. you're saying that she could have escaped like after he had left he could have just you know dislocated her thumb slipped out of her handcuffs walk out of the room basically yeah and she didn't gain anything she wasn't being paid to take out harry she had no vendetta against harry he's not the one that knocked her unconscious and handcuffed her to a chair mm-hmm. there's no logical reason for her to do that she yeah. could have just waited and once he left then slipped out of the handcuffs and be on her merry way and go back after John Wick again. She does stand to gain a gold coin by killing Harry. The only thing that she really gets out of it is the gold coin that John Wick gave him to watch her. Yeah. And let's get into that. Let's talk about the gold coin. Let's get into that. So he calls for a dinner reservation and some cleaners show up. And this is our first introduction to the gold coin. Mm -hmm. Along with his weapons cache, he has a huge collection of these gold coins. When he said he had a dinner reservation for 12 and he, you know, you could start hearing the clink, clink, clink as he was counting them. I was trying to follow along to hear if he actually clinked out 12 of them. But right as he gets to like seven or eight, also just go clink, clink, clink. All the rest of them just drop. So I'm assuming 12 bodies, 12 gold coins. Yeah. But I can't guarantee that. The way we have to think about the world and the economy of John Wick, and this is how what I've read up on it and how other people have tried to make sense of it, is we don't have to think about gold coins in relation to how much money they're worth, as in like coins to dollars, right? Because that's usually how people like to think about is how much is a gold coin worth in terms of how many dollars worth is a gold coin. We have to remember that money is symbolic. Yes. I mean, you see George Washington, you're going to have a different reaction versus if you see Benjamin Franklin. That paper in your pocket is only worth anything because we have all agreed that it is 
worth a equal shared amount. Exactly. The technical term, if I recall, is fiat currency. Fiat currency is when the money is backed by your faith in the government that issued the money to not go bankrupt and just start printing off a ton of money in order to keep itself afloat. Right. But even on the general purpose, we like to think of gold as this like stable economy. Like, you know, oh, if, if you're worried about the U.S. dollar crashing, you should invest in gold because gold will be stable. Gold will always be worth money. Right. You see, like, doomsday preppers, they'll, like, swirl away gold in different parts to prepare for the collapse of the U.S. economy. But honestly, gold is just as worthless as the paper in your pocket. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's a piece of rock with just a sign value to it. The only actual intrinsic value of gold is it's a really good electrical conduit so you can use it for high-end electronics and it works really well for reflecting solar radiation so it's useful in space travel right it's a great metal there's practical value in gold even your gold ring that you have when you got married that's not pure gold because if it was pure gold you'd be betting that thing constantly and until it would just break and fall off intrinsically there's no real value to gold Right. So that ties in, right? In terms of the gold coins, it's what they symbolize, what they represent. And it, they represent access. Same as money. I mean, that's what money is. In the criminal underworld of John Wick, that's what those gold coins are. And when you think about it, the simplicity of it, it has to be simple. You can't start putting value on the coins because when you start, <laughs> you know, this is a $5 coin, this is a $10 coin, this is a hundred one, then you can get into situations where people are going to then make more gold coins that are the higher value ones versus the lower value ones. And you can start to see this sort of corruption start to happen within right. the criminal organization. You kind of start to see how the more simplistic you go with it, the easier it is to maintain order. It kind of creates a specific membership within the overall criminal organization that they built up where you have like yeah so john wick retired but so long as he kept a stash of these gold coins in his basement under the floor he could always come back and as long as he stayed out of the underworld as long as he stayed on the surface yeah if he ever ran into money problems he could melt down those gold coins and then you know sell trade it for the gold exchange value but so long as he had those gold coins he had access by continuing to participate in the organization you earn coins that keep you in the organization right but the moment that you kind of stop actively doing positive work for it it will by default eventually eliminate you as you it's like oh i'm going on a vacation i'm not really in the organization anymore but i want to stay at a super posh hotel on my vacation yeah i'm going to go to the continental i'm going to give them a gold coin yeah but if you're not doing services for the organization eventually you run out you basically get kicked out yeah you'd lose access that's what it is right although i yeah. like the fact that you said positive work for the organization that kills people for <laughs> i love that that was uh, that was great <laughs> Well, it's positive from the organization's perspective. Right. <laughs> um, no, but you're right. I mean, it, it is that. And as far as levels of worth, I mean, they still work on real money. It's like when he put out the bounty on John Wick, he didn't put out a bounty of 50 gold coins. He put out a bounty of $2 million. Right. 
you pointed something out that I haven't really thought about before. How do you earn gold coins? Yeah, aside from him telling Harry that he was going to give him a gold coin for catch and release of Perkins... And then Perkins stole the gold coin from Harry. Yeah. That wasn't really established. At the very beginning, it showed that Vigo had a large collection of coins. But when he put out the bounty, he only put out a bounty of $2 million. Yeah, which I thought was really weird. It almost thinks that it should have just been a bounty of $2 million and 10 gold coins or something like that. Right. But again, that establishes a little bit more of a value on the gold coins from Mm -hmm. the world perspective. Keeping it simple, as you said, it would eliminate the terms of abuse, but it also eliminates inconsistencies in your own storytelling structure. Right. So you know they can earn coins, but never really associating a direct transfer of how these work. Mm-hmm. Keeps it simple, keeps the story more consistent across any future projects. Absolutely. And the director of John Wick, well, the directors, because the first John Wick film was directed by both Chasta Helsey and David Leach, although only Chasta Helsey is credited as director. But again, I want to point out David Leach was also a director and David Leach actually split off for the sequels. David Leach went on to do his own thing, which is fine because he ended up working on Atomic Blonde, which is great. And he also ended up working on the second Deadpool film, which is also good. And on Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, which was also a fun movie. A little bit of trivia for you. How much does a stay at the Continental cost, John Wick? One gold coin. Wrong. It cost him two gold coins. Right. He, he needed one gold coin to check in. He needed a second gold coin to check out. Which, given how the Continental responded to Perkins violating their rules, make sure you have that second gold coin to check out because you don't want them to check you out for you. Don't want them to check you out uh, <laughs> themselves. Yeah, although the, I, I do want to point out that is a ni- it was a nice gift that you got for the inconvenience. To bring back to the whole keeping the storyline and the world and universe more cohesive and together by making things more simple, the director of John Wick, Chasta Helsky, he was actually speaking on a video chat prior to the airing of the movie and he was answering questions and stuff like that. One of the things he mentioned, which caught my ear, he said that because the Wick universe is not tied to any existing IPs, because of that, because it's an original IP and it's not tied to anything existing, they have more freedom to take the characters and the story wherever they want. You hear that, Keanu timeline theorist? Not tied to any other product. <laughs> Your theory is wrong. Exactly. So because of that, they were able to take this movie and put it into a pacing of action and storytelling that was much better than any previous action sequences that we've seen and let's talk about action sequences because i do want to get into that did you notice one particular thing about these action sequences that is plagued in so many other action sequences in hollywood the cuts yes it's the quick cuts and the shaky cam there was none of that in john wick oh for a while there was just like every single movie in order to give a gritty realism they had to have a shaky cam and it's just like oh my god this is making me motion sick just watch this movie they did not have any of that shaky cam to me always felt amateur yes like they couldn't get a still professional shot 
So someone decided, you know, if we just purposely make it shaky, we don't have to worry about that. Exactly. That's how it always felt like it started to me. And I never understood why it was so popular for such a long time. I want to say something about on the shaky cam. If you want a good example of what shaky cam action sequences look like, look at the Jason Bourne movies. I used to think Mm -hmm. that the action sequences of Jason Bourne were freaking awesome awesome and it wasn't until i saw john wick that i realized that no they're actually subpar action sequences they're not great because you can't see anything you can barely make out the punches it just has the illusion of it being a really cool sequence but it really isn't until you watch john wick and then you realize this is a proper action sequence also the fact that ken reeves also worked for eight hours a day for four months and training for all these martial arts and going to shooting ranges and doing all that stuff that also kind of help you gotta love it when a actor is committed to the role like that yeah i agree with that because initially the first couple born movies i generally enjoyed but I, as i said i always hated the shaky cam effect and that's really why i kind of checked out of that franchise i haven't seen the most recent couple films because the shaky cam was just always too jarring it was ruined the action sequences for me i'm just like no i'm done mm-hmm. and as for the cut scenes that's actually something else i never really quite understood Sometimes a cutscene seems to be important to change your viewpoint to the action and the event that's happening. And other times it seems like the cutscenes, again, are just there to cover up the fact that they can't get the actor to do the thing that they want them to do. Like in Taken, I think it was the first one, maybe it was one of the sequels, but in one of the Taken movies, Liam Neeson is jumping over a fence. It's like running up, jumping, flipping over a fence. And there are nine cutscenes. <laughs> that wait, are you saying that that whole sequence of him jumping over the fence? There was nine cuts in that sequence. Nine cuts, nine different camera angles. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So it's one thing to have a cutscene where you, you know you're showing Keanu Reeves coming up with his punch, and then you cut to the angle that you can see the punch impacting the person's face. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. That's that's a single cut. It changes. It focuses on the hero doing the heroic thing yeah. and then focus on the result of that action. That can be a little bit of an enhancement. But sometimes they just keep adding on these cuts after cuts. It's like, what are you trying to focus on here? Yeah. Why are you cutting to so many different camera angles for the single action? Yes. Exactly. And it doesn't make sense to me why action movies do that all the time. And I want to point out, this is a very Hollywood thing to do. If you go look at Hong Kong and Korean action films, they don't have crazy weird shaky cameras with a million cuts in them. They don't have that. Yeah. Action films on that part of the world are just way better than anything that Hollywood can produce, in my opinion. It's not until Hollywood borrows some elements of those films that we start to see just how cool it is. But of course, that's a lot more work than a lot of directors and writers are willing to put. Now, one thing I want to get your take on, especially since we're on the topic of action, what is your opinion of them using what's often referred to as gun kata, Mm -hmm. or sometimes people call it gun food? Yes. The concept of training and becoming so good with firearms that you can incorporate into as a martial art (laughs) in and of itself to be able to gunfight, dodge bullets, etc., as you see in this film. Okay, so gung fu is not original to John Wick. I do want to point that out. No. 
No, it's not. The father of Gung Fu is John Woo. Yep. But John Wick, I believe, takes it to a whole nother level. And the reason I think it takes it to a whole nother level is because almost every single stunt sequence that we see has Keanu Reeves in it. There are very few action sequences that we see where Keanu Reeves is not in it. That's what differentiates John Wick versus other Gung Fu films that have come out. When you see the actor doing all this stuff for real, it just makes it so much better than anything we've seen before. Although Chon Yun-Fat, he is also an amazing actor that has a lot of range when it comes down to all of this Gung Fu stuff. Yes. I always like Gun Fu. Anybody who has really studied gunfighting or martial arts will be quick to tell you that it can't be done in real life. And that's why I like it so much in movies. It's because I want movies to, even if movies are grounded in the modern day, I want some element of fantasy Mm -hmm. to make it really cohesive as this is a cool thing to be watching. Right. Gun Fu has always been in that category for me. Yes. And that's the thing, right? You want a good foundation of realism and reality. These are real weapons with real bullets that don't do things like in Wanted where you can bend them, (laughs) right? Or curve the bullets or do all that kind of stuff. You can't do that in John Wick because these are just regular old guns. But the Gung Fu, what's cool about it is that it looks like it could work in real life even though it doesn't. So yeah, they didn't give John Wick any kind of magical gun powers in this case. They just incorporated it into the action sequences in a way that made it feel like someone who is highly trained enough could actually accomplish these things. Absolutely. They blended in so well. It was very seamless use. It seemed ridiculous, but with fun and slightly realistic. Yes, thank you. That. It's exactly that. Another thing I was going to point out on the uh, realism of the fight scenes In the very end, when they throw down their guns and they're just going to go man on man. Yeah. We were uh, chatting with each other on Skype at the same time. And I totally called it like, oh, he didn't say anything about no knives, though. Yeah. (laughs) And then 30 seconds later, he pulls out a knife and you're like, called it. (laughs) Called it. The thing that gets that really gets me is the first thing you learn about knife fighting, if you go to learn to fight with or defend yourself from a knife, is in any knife fight, you are going to get cut. So the goal is controlling how, when, and how badly you get cut. Right. And I have to say, letting someone stab you in the stomach, not a good plan. No. <laughs> Not a good plan. But at the same time, though, when you think about the level of skill of Vigo that he brings in terms of the fight, sure, it's not superior to John Wick, but it's also... Remember that John Wick is not like he is uh, operating at 100%. He had just been shot at, beat up, and he is still wonking. And I pointed this out on our chat. He has the same superpower that Matt Murdock has in the sense that he can take a beating like nobody else can. Right. And what was with Avi not having a gun? You work for this criminal organization that regularly murders people. You know there's an assassin after your boss. Right. And you didn't bring a gun? (laughs) Here's my thing on that. I think that that day he was an insurance guy and not working for the mob. I think he just confused what job he was in (laughs) for that that day. (laughs) 
this is not the insurance gig. I forgot. Dang it. I forgot to remember my gun. Yeah, no, that was super weird. I didn't really understand that, but I kind of do understand it. If you go back to all the action sequences that occur with Avi in it, I don't remember seeing him firing a single bullet. And also when we see Vigo punish Yosef for killing John Wick's dog and stealing his car, you also see that Avi is not super comfortable with violence. What was Avi's job? Why was he along for the ride? He's Vigo's lawyer, so he's not an action guy. But this is the weird part, right? Throughout the movie, we've never really known him to be Vigo's lawyer. We have seen him to be the second in command, which usually means the second in command is a badass, right? That's what we have known throughout action movie tropes is that whoever's in second in command is the second strongest person, but not in the John Wick universe. In the John Wick universe, the second in command is just a lawyer who gets excited when he fires that first bullet, right? If you notice, you know, he (laughs) fires and he's smiling. He's like, yeah, I did something. And then he gets shot afterwards. Another thing I learned from watching Legal Eagle on YouTube, just because you're a lawyer with your client, if you are directly witnessing your client doing crimes, client lawyer confidentiality does not protect you. Right? Unless you are the lawyer for the organization in John Wick, in which case... It's like the doctor, right? The hotel doctor. Yeah, but the lawyer tagging along on the crimes in progress, not a good plan if he ever actually has to defend his clients in court. Although, to be fair, not a whole lot of defending happens in that, considering that police just shows up to your house and it's like, noise complaint? Yep. Well, I'll leave you to it then and just... Oh, a dead body in the hallway. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll let you handle this. Working again? <laughs> He could have at least paid the cop a gold coin. Right, you know, just for your troubles, for your discretion. But I'm sure that they already are paid. And I don't think cops would be welcome at those bars, you know, with the criminal underworld. (laughs) Now, do you think that cop was being kept on the payroll by John Wick just in case he ever needed him? Or do you think that was a cop that was on Marcus's payroll? Or even Vigo's? Right. No, probably not Vigo's. The Continental? Winston. Winston is the owner of the Continental Hotel. Well, the Continental Hotel in New York. There's other Continental Hotels. What the John Wick world does, it has this subtle complexity to it. They definitely have a high level of control over the society that they are existing with. Right, So exactly. One other thing that I really wanted to get to, the noir narrative of opening with your hero in an apparent losing state. It's a very noir movie tactic or noir storytelling device. You open up with your hero in a dire situation that you're like, oh, how is he going to survive this? Or he's already dead. And then you cut to an earlier point. You see how he got there. And now typically in a noir story, when you reach that point, it's a turning point in your act three where he then gets up and goes on his final moment to save the day. But they didn't do that in this one. You're right. That is usually where an act three begins, that final confrontation, right? And that doesn't happen in, in his movie. When he gets up, it's just for him to go home. But in a way, it's actually does still mark a turning point for his closure. The whole movie was action, so it wasn't a turning point for his closure in a final action sequence. It was, he gets back up, 
gets into the vet hospital, treats his wound, staples the knife cut closed, and then he gets a new dog. Yeah. Which was probably someone's dog that he just stole, but, you know, he gets a new dog. It was a completing circle for him. So, yeah, it was his Act 3 turning point to complete his path through this movie. It was just done in such a different way. I wanted to call it out because... I personally always love when movies take old tropes and present them in a new light. Yes. And I think that in this instance, they took that noir storytelling device and presented it in a different fashion that really paid off for me. Yes, definitely. And I actually didn't notice it until he pointed it out. And again, which speaks to the pacing of this movie and how well it sort of establishes what it needs to establish so that when we get to the action sequences later on, you will absolutely totally enjoy what's going to happen yes that is something that this movie does extremely well it is not the movie starts and bullets are flying or any of that kind of stuff is happening it is not that it is methodical just like john wick it takes its time but when the action starts it is epic and it is amazing and it lasts for just the right amount before it goes back to let's build up the next action sequence and let's take our time with that and then the next action sequence happens and then you're blown away again yeah all right so should we get to our tldl too long didn't listen yeah this is a section where we give our final thoughts on the movie closing thoughts so nathan what are your closing thoughts on john wick the opening of the movie can be hard especially if you're a really big dog lover i know several people that can't really handle the opening of this movie because of that but once you get past that point his motivation is clear you know his purpose and they don't bore you with the action they give you a strong action sequence that's well laid out well directed they give you a pause to catch up with the ongoings of the world and then they get you back to action movie and is well paced and an enjoyable ride sit back and have another friday night at the movies you guys have heard me talk about john wick in this podcast for a few episodes now so you know where i stand this is one of my favorite action franchises of all time. I love Ken Reeves. He brings a really nice performance to this character, not just from a physical standpoint and being able to perform all of these stunts and do all of this really cool fighting choreography, but also from an acting standpoint, I think that he brings a good range to the character of John Wick. And I think that Ken Reeves is John Wick in that sense. When I think of John Wick, I can only picture Ken Reeves. I can never picture any other actor ever playing that role of John Wick. It's Ken Reeves' role and it will be his forever. So yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Great action sequences. You're going to love it. But as Nathan said, the beginning of it with dog getting killed, that may be tough for some of you. And I understand it if you are not interested in that. So as we depart today, a final question to you, Daniel. Which movie do you think gives the most realistic or believable version of Gun Fu? John Wick or Equilibrium? Oh, man. Yeah, that is an excellent question of which we could talk about it for another two hours, but we're not. But we would love to hear what your thoughts are on that question. So you can definitely hit us up on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts Podcast and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. Yes. Follow us there. Shoot us your answers to these questions. Who did it best? So thank you all for listening to our podcast. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank Thank you for for listening. listening.